The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. If we haven't met, my name is John, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad that you're here with us uh, today. Um, there's this... There's this quote that Martin Luther is known for, Martin Luther, the great reformer. He went into his church one day and someone asked him, Martin, why do you always preach the gospel to us? Why are you always sharing the gospel? And Martin Luther's response was, well, because every time you come in here, you look like you're a people who don't believe it. Every time you come in here, you're a people who don't look like you don't believe it. One of the things that we've been talking about throughout this entire series, and maybe you're wondering why we continue to talk about it, is we're talking about this concept of identity. We're talking about the the idea of who we are in Christ. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 14. That's in the New Testament. If you have one of those seatback Bibles um, on the seatback in front of you underneath, that's on page 713. You can also find it in the YouVersion app, but, you, but 1 Corinthians is toward the back of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 6 today, verses 9 to 14. So again, why, why do we continue to talk about identity? Why does this topic continue to come up? And the first reason, honestly, is because Paul does. Like, that's the, that's the short answer. We continue to talk about identity because it's something that Paul continues to talk about. And in the church at Corinth, there are people who have forgotten who they are. They've forgotten their identity. They're in the, bit of a, in, in the midst of a bit of an identity crisis as Christians. And this is, this is creating internal issues within the church, things that are taking place within the church. We've been talking about that, fighting and disputing and disagreements. And as we've talked for now the past several weeks, those internal disputes are beginning to spill outside the church. So people who aren't believers are looking into what's taking place and they're seeing all of this dissatisfaction. They're seeing the way that the church in Corinth is accepting and tolerating and affirming sin uh, within them. And this is beginning to cause problems. So Paul is going to use his letter to tell the church at Corinth who they are. He's going to reset their identity around their identity in Christ. And six times in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we started chapter 6 last week, we're going to be in this little middle part today and finish it out next week, but six times over the course of these verses, Paul begins a question with a phrase, and this is what he says. He says, don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? We talked about that last week. Don't you realize that we will judge angels? Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Don't you realize that if a man joins himself with a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given you by God? So this question that he's asking them six times, when we read the Bible, we want to look for things like this. Six times he's asking them this question, don't you know who you are? are. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know your identity? And they don't, so Paul is going to tell them. 
Over and over and over and over and over again, Paul is going to try to convince them and communicate to them who they are, what their primary identity is. So again, we ask this question, okay, well, what does this, um, what does this have to do with us? Why, why do we have to hear so many weeks in a row this, this idea of identity? Someone asked the question a few weeks ago. I shared that. Like, couldn't we just take all of these chapters and condense it into one thing? Well, then we're missing the point. What will happen is we'll miss what Paul is trying to accomplish, what God through Paul is trying to accomplish. So why are we doing it? And again, the same answer, what Paul does. And this really goes to, for us, the heart of, of why we go through the Bible in the way that we go through it. We go through it in sequential order. So it's kind of like when Paul talks about something, um, we're going to talk about it. And then if Paul talks about the same topic again, we're going to talk about it. Zane, um, Zane and I watched this uh, video last week on Instagram um, and it was, it was this pastor, and this pastor said in part this. She said, before we get started, I just wanted to name something from the reading from Corinthians. So, so they were reading Corinthians 2, and this is what this pastor said. You might have noticed that we didn't read one part out loud, and that's because it's yikes. So this pastor was reading the scriptures that what they say is they're God-breathed and useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness. All of these scriptures are supposed to do something to us. They're supposed to communicate God's will and desire for us. There was one part this pastor didn't read because it was yikes, because it was too uncomfortable to deal with. And one of the things that that we don't do here is we don't skip the yikes passages. We don't want to be a people who skip the parts that make us feel uncomfortable in our age. What we want to do when we read texts that are yikes, what we want to do is we want to demonstrate some maturity and lean into that. We don't want to just say the easy thing, which is, oh, well, Paul must not have meant that, or he only meant that for the church in Corinth. That was really important for them to hear, but it's not so important for us to hear. What we want to do is we don't want to skip the yikes parts. And honestly, like, we're not going to skip the yikes parts. So when Paul preaches multiple times on identity because of the way we go through scripture, we're going to talk multiple times on identity. But again, why does this matter to us? Why, why do issues of identity matter to us? It's because our, I, our culture is filled with people who don't know who they are. At the most fundamental of levels, our culture is filled with people who don't know who they are. As we think about just the growing number of particularly middle school and high school students and particularly female middle school and high school students, the number of those who are growing who don't know who they are in terms of their sexuality, in terms of their gender identity. This is a crisis for us. And as a church, we must speak into these kinds of issues. Many years ago, I was in an elders meeting, and it's not just about gender issues. I was in an elders meeting with, an, with, with a man who was 75 years old who was retiring from his job. And in an elders meeting, this man said, I'm retiring and I have no idea who I am. 
And part of that I understand. Right? When we, when we have dedicated our lives to certain things, it can be easy for us to, for us to give ourselves and to, and to take an identity from some of these things. But I was, I was heartbroken that this man who had been a pastor, who was an elder, would sit there and say, I don't know who I am. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, well, what about your identity in Christ? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And this person was having an identity crisis. And by talking about this, this idea of identity so much in these texts, Paul's answering um, one of life's most important questions, and that question is, what is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be someone who follows God? What does it mean for someone who lives in anticipation that when they die, they're going to be with God forever? We might want to get that one right. We might want to know the answer to that question. And Paul is going to answer that in the text that we're going to talk about today. What does it mean for me really to be a Christian? Because there are lots of people who say they're a Christian. There are lots of people who think they're Christians. And that's usually because of where we've grown up. It's usually because of uh, maybe we go to church. But Paul has something different to say. Paul's answer to what makes a Christian is a different answer so we want to know what that looks like. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're just going to read verse nine, verses 9 through the first part of verse 11. And Paul's going to begin it this way with one of those don't you realize questions. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will enter the kingdom of God. Yikes. That's a yikes text. What Paul is telling us, and I didn't read the first part of 11, it says this, some of you were once like that. What Paul is telling us is what he said in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's what Paul is saying in these verses. The wages of sin is death. There is a consequence for sin. There is a penalty for sin. There's a penalty for it. For knowing what God calls us to and then living apart from it, there's a consequence for that. And people who persist in these ways are not going to inherit God's kingdom. This is what Paul is telling us in the text. And what we're really wrestling with is the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the good news? What does it mean for me to be a Christian? And what Paul is doing by, by talking about identity in this way is he's saying that there is a way to live that will not lead to your salvation. There's a way to behave that will lead to your separation from God. This is the gospel. Earlier in Romans, this is Romans 3.23, Paul wrote this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I wonder, do we... When we think about that verse, do we, do we understand the weight of that text on us? 
what Paul is saying. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Do you feel that? This is our identity without Christ. Paul is doing something in this text. Paul is, Paul is not just talking about identity because he feels like we need to have six chapters on it. Paul is talking about identity so much because he has somewhere that he's going with it. Because he needs to communicate to us that when we are not in a relationship with Christ, our identity is being separated from God. Our identity is we are not going to inherit God's kingdom. And what he says is people who are mired in sin are not Christians. And that's heavy. That can be heavy for us. Because we think as decent, honorable people who don't sin as badly as everyone else does, we think that we somehow are going to earn our way to heaven. We think because we are good people, we are automatically going to get in. We think because on the whole, our good deeds have outweighed our bad deeds. And Paul is saying something else in these verses. He's saying, don't fool yourselves. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you've done. It doesn't matter how good you are in comparison to other people because other people aren't the standard. We've been talking about that also throughout the text of 1 Corinthians. There's another standard and it is not you. I've kind of shared this before. You know, when you're driving, someone who's faster than you is an idiot and someone who's slower than you is a moron. And the funny thing about that is, well, who made you the standard? Like, that's what we want to do, right? We become the standard. And, and throughout this letter that Paul has written to the church at Corinth, he's saying, you're not the standard. Jesus is the standard. And you fall short. And because you fall short, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty rough. But that's why Paul talks about identity. Let's continue. This is the next part. This is, I'm just going to read all of 11. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that God doesn't just stop with who we were before our relationship with Christ? That it doesn't just end there. That it doesn't just paint this picture of sin and chaos and death and destruction. But actually there's some hopefulness in the midst of all of this. See, Paul is trying to communicate to them that their identity outside a relationship with God is only going to lead to their destruction. It's only going to lead to their separation from God. Because when we look at this list... I love this list so much. I'm going to go back to the list. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people. None of these will, end, will inherit the kingdom of God. Probably some of us would love for someone like me to spend more time on some of these sins than others, wouldn't we? I'm so glad that one made the list. But have you considered... Your greed. Have you considered 
the way that we might cheat people out of things, the way that we might manipulate people? Have you considered the way we worship things that aren't of God? Have you considered your own sin? Some of these things we might consider to be lesser sins, and Paul's going to address that in the next part of 1 Corinthians, toward the end of chapter 6. Paul's going to talk about that. But what what Paul is trying to do is give them a catch-all, like if you are a sinner, you are not escaping this. This isn't a matter of lesser sins or greater sins. This is a matter of being sinful. And because we're all in that spot, Paul tells us something else. He says, well, that, that used to be how you lived your lives as people who weren't followers of God. But Christ has done something for you. Essentially, he's saying we were filthy, mired in our sin, but Christ has cleansed us. See, if you are a Christian, what's happened is God has cleansed you. This is your new identity. This is why he's talking about this. Because he's trying to remind them of who they are. He's saying, Christian, you have been cleansed. You have a new identity. That may be who you were. Maybe you were feeling like you were filled with guilt and shame and, and wrapped up in your sin. But I have a new identity for you. You're actually cleansed in Christ. What would it be like for you? What would it be like for me to remember that my identity in God is cleansed because of what Christ has done? What would that be like for you? In 1 Peter 3, uh, Peter tells us that this cleansing happens during baptism. And it has nothing to do with the water. It has everything to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, when we are baptized, we are cleansed with Christ. We are, we are put to, we, are, we die to ourselves going under the water and we're raised to new life when we come out of the water. We are cleansed. We are new people. We have a new identity. And these old ways aren't our ways. Once unholy, we've been made holy. See, we have been transformed into something that we are not. Looking back at this list, this thing that this list that separated us from God, God has now made us holy. He's taken us, he's taken us from something that was common and he's set us apart for himself. This is your identity is cleansed and holy. So when we have that self-talk about how bad we are as people, what would it be like for you to press pause on the self-talk? And remember that you are cleansed, that you are holy. What would that be like for you? And lastly, he says, we were once not right with God. We were separated from him. But we were made right with God when we called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. So when we ask this question, what is a Christian? How does Paul answer the question? How does the Bible answer that question? It's not the normal cultural things that we come up with. What Paul is saying is a person who's a Christian is not a person who's involved and engaged in persistent and consistent sin. A Christian is someone who has been cleansed and been made holy and made right with God. So again, what would that be like for you to claim this identity? 
to find hope in this identity, to find peace in this identity, to trust in this identity. And it happens when we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The answer to the question, am I a Christian, is only a yes. It's only a yes if you've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. That's the answer. That's the yes. That's not something that we do. That's not a work salvation. This is evidence that the Spirit is at work within us, and it's our response. We become a follower of Christ when we say yes to Jesus. When we claim that for ourselves, that's when we become a Christian. That's what makes us a Christian. It's not because we live here in western Nebraska. It's not because we've grown up mostly in a Christianized society. It's not because we're not as bad as all of our neighbors. The answer to the question of am I a Christian is because we have been cleansed and made holy and we've called upon the name of Jesus and we've been made right with him. That's the definition of a Christian. So then the next kind of question is, well, how can we know? How can we, how can we know that, that we're actually in this relationship with Jesus? How can we know? I love this next part. This is beginning at verse 12. You say, I am allowed to do anything. Now, I, I just want to pause here for a second. The, the NLT puts that phrase, I am allowed to do anything in quotations. And some translations don't do that. And the reason that the NLT puts that into quotations is... What the, what the translators believe was taking place was Paul is now quoting the letter back to them that they had written to him. Does that make sense? So remember the house of Chloe had written Paul a letter about all the crazy things that were taking place at the church at Corinth. So now what Paul is going to do, because Paul is way more skillful than the church at Corinth wants to give him credit for, what he's going to do is, is he's going to flip their words back against them. So we can imagine in their letter, the church at Corinth was like, well, I'm allowed to do anything. And this is going to come up more in a few chapters. I'm allowed to do anything. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything you say, again, here's a quote. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. See, Paul is starting to culminate everything that he's written in these previous six chapters, and he's going to finish out his thought in what we're going to do next week. But he's bringing all of this together because what's happening is, is there's this group of Christians in Corinth who basically are living their lives however they want to. And what they're saying is, I can do anything. I'm allowed to do anything. I have permission to do anything. And we can probably guess that the reason they're thinking that 
The reason they're saying that is because they're Christians. Because after all, Jesus has died for me. Jesus has paid the price for my sin. So what I can do, like, because I'm covered in God's grace, I'm washed in the blood, and I can live however I want to live my life. I can do whatever I want to. I can do whatever I want to with my money. I can do whatever I want to with my time. I can do whatever I want to with my body. I can do whatever I want to when I want, where I want, how I want, when I want. I can just do whatever I want to. And what Paul says here is not so fast. Later in chapter 6, he's going to write, you are not your own, in fact. See, a Christian is not someone who does whatever they want to do. A Christian is not someone whose life is so on autopilot that whenever their old sin pattern comes back up, they just slide right into it without even giving it a second thought. This is not what the Christian life is, is someone who just does whatever they want. In fact, that's the life of someone who's not a Christian. That describes what it looks like to not be a Christian, to do whatever it is that you want. To have no responsibilities for yourself, no responsibility for your family, no responsibility for the body of the church. This is how a non-Christian behaves. And I love the little phrase there, but not everything is good for you. Because what Paul seems to be indicating is, is there are some things that, yes, you are allowed to do. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. And like, again, Paul is, Paul is building up to what he's going to be talking about after chapter 8 in 1 Corinthians. What Paul is saying is, yeah, you have a lot of freedom, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. Because we have responsibility, because we are Christians. Just because we can live in certain ways doesn't mean that we should. Doesn't mean that we ultimately have that freedom because of who God is making us to be. Because you have been cleansed and you're holy and you're right with God. See, those kinds of things are the things that we have actually been freed from. We have been freed from our sin. We've been freed to not sin. We've been given power by the Holy Spirit to not sin. And Paul is saying, this is who you are. So when we wake up in the morning as believers and our first thought is, man, I just get to do whatever I want to today. No, you can't. You don't have that freedom. We don't have that choice to live however we want to. Because God has changed us. A Christian does not do whatever they like, even though some things are permissible, even though we can. That's not our measuring stick. Can I do this is not my measuring stick. Should I do this? Would a Christian do this? Would someone who's been transformed by God do this? That is my measuring stick. These are the questions that I need to ask. A Christian is someone who is not enslaved by their sin. A Christian is not someone who's been enslaved by their sin. A Christian is someone who's been raised from the dead into, the new, into new life by the same power that raised Christ from the dead. This is what it means to be a Christian. 
not the cultural things. And I know I'm, I'm beating that drum hard today. Because how terrible would it be, and Scripture talks about this, how terrible would it be for us to think that we were walking in the light, but we were really walking in darkness? How terrible would it be for us to have fooled ourselves into an assurance of salvation that doesn't exist? How deceitful would it be for us to be in a place where we think we're Christians and we think we're walking with God, but the reality is we're not? This is why Paul talks about identity so much. Because he's trying to shake them. He's trying to call them to live out their true identity. And we demonstrate this new life by living cleansed, holy, and righteous righteous lives, not caught up and captivated by the sins that so easily entangle us. And we have sin in our lives. We are going to sin And what we are called to do when we sin is to seek repentance and to confess our sins to God and engage in relationships with other believers who can hold us accountable. This is is what it means to live this holy life. And we don't do this under our own power. We can't do this under our own strength. We have to seek out what the Holy Spirit wants for us, which is why Paul tells them the same power, this is in Romans 8, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. You have the same access. I wonder, do you know your identity? Do you know that? Do you believe it? Why does Paul care so much about their identity? Why are we spending so much time talking about identity? Well, it's because God cares about you. Because God knows the consequence of not living out your identity in him. God knows that that consequence is separation. So what God wants to do is he wants to consistently remind us of what a life of chaos, death, and destruction looks like without him. So he's going to call out sins. And that's the part that's yikes for us. That's the part that makes us uncomfortable. That's the part that we don't like. But God is not bound. God's holiness is not bound by what we think is sinful and what we think is not sinful. We are not more moral than God. God knows what sin is, so he's going to tell us. He's going to consistently put it in front of us so we can see it. We can acknowledge it. We can know that we're falling short of it, and then we can seek him out. So we talk about identity so much in this series because Paul does and because God doesn't want us to be in this bad identity that removes us from him. What God wants is us alive in Christ. And that's the good news of the gospel. Is to reveal to us reality of a life apart from him and a life of separation to us and then call us to something else. No, you don't have to stay there. You may be living in these sins right now from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but you don't have to stay there. Cuz I have a better plan for your life than that, and that's the person of Jesus. What I'm just going to do is I'm going to read through Romans 8. Verses 1 to 14, and, and what I've done is I've just 
I've just taken out the identity statements from Romans 8, 1 to 14. And what I want to do today is I want to, I'm just going to pray these over you as we end our message time today. I just want to pray over Romans 8, 1 to 14. So if you would bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I pray that we would know that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. This is our identity. We are not condemned. Help us to know that. God, I pray that we would know that we belong to you. And the power of the life-giving spirit has freed us from the power of sin that leads us to death. This is our identity. God, we belong to you. Help us to know that identity. Help us to know that the Spirit has freed us from our sin. Help us to claim that identity. God, we thank you that you did what obedience to the law could not do. You sent your Son, Jesus, in a body like ours as a sacrifice for our sins. And in doing so, you have freed us from sin's control. God, this is our identity. You have freed us. We do not have to sin. We are freed. This is our identity. God, I thank you that we are controlled by the Spirit. This allows us to think on things that please the Spirit. This is our identity. A thinker on things that please you. God, help us to embrace that identity. God, I thank you that we are not controlled by our sinful nature. This is our identity. We are not a people controlled by our sinful identity. Help us to claim that identity. God, I thank you that Christ lives within us. And even though our bodies will die because of sin, the Spirit gives us life because we have been made right with God. This is our identity. We have been made right by you. We have been made right with you. You give us life. We have life. This is our identity. Help us to claim that identity. Father, we praise you because the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The same spirit, not a lesser spirit, not a modified spirit, but the fullness of God's spirit, of your spirit, dwells within us, giving us life. God, help us to claim this identity. Father, I thank you that we have no obligation to do what our sinful nature urges us to do. This is our identity. We are not bound by our sinful nature. We have a choice to do what's right. Help us to claim that identity. God, we thank you that you, that all who are led by the Spirit of God are your children. This is our identity. Help us to claim the identity of your child. And that comes by being led through your spirit. Father, I pray that we would boldly claim these things as our identity, as who we truly are because of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. God, help us to claim our identity. Help us to know clearly who we are. 
Help us to be led by that identity. Help us to be guided by that identity. Help us to trust that identity. Help us to be confident in that identity. Help us to know who we are in you. May we never be a people who say we don't know who we are. May we be a people who confidently know who we are because of who you are. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.